Hi, everybody. Welcome to Sports and Shorts of Sorts. <laughs> Renny, Ren City Riquet here. Let's hop right into our Jersey sort segment before we uh, start the Wild Week of Sports. Hopefully the music's playing correct this time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when we think 33... Let's kind of go with a segue from the 32 episode where I had Magic Johnson. Now let's go with his biggest rival, Larry Bird, the hick from French Lick. Some consider him the greatest player of all time, just like some with Magic Johnson. And that's the great thing about sports. You can have your opinion on who you think, and you're not necessarily wrong. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, we all thought that Larry Legend would go play for Bob Knight at Indiana, but he dropped out after a few months, finding the adjustment from his small town to the big university life just just too much. So he returned home and enrolled at Indiana State University, and the rest was history. He led the Sycamores to their first-ever championship game against Michigan State, and he'd win College Player of the Year, but they'd lose in the final and uh it did achieve the highest ever viewed college game because in that final he went against magic johnson his biggest rival of michigan state and those names would be synonymous throughout their entire career bird would end up getting his number 33 retired at indiana state before getting drafted by the celtics in the 78 draft he didn't sign right away and played his last season at indiana state which is kind of weird because he was drafted yet he played again and uh there were talks of Red Auerbach lowered Bird, or if he simply wouldn't enter that draft. So this rewrote history that you couldn't ha draft someone, have them go play college again and come back. The draft eligibility rules were changed, and we called it the Bird Collegiate Rule. So, <clears throat> excuse me, but Bird was a beast right out of the gates, you know, winning Rookie of the Year, going to make 12 All-Star games, winning the MVP in the 98-82 game. Won three NBA titles with the Celtics, including finals MVP for two of them. Ten All-NBA teams, three All-Defensive teams. Won the three-point contest three times in a row. One where he didn't even take off his warm-up jacket. Left it on, and rumor is he walked into the locker room and said, which one of y'all are finishing second? Like, he's known as one of the best trash-talking players ever. He's in the college and pro basketball Hall of Fame. His 33 is in the elusive Boston Rafters. Like... He really could do it all, and he's the first player, the only player in NBA history to be Rookie of the Year, MVP, Finals MVP, All-Star, All-Star MVP, sorry, Coach of the Year, and Executive of the Year. The latter two he accomplished with the Indiana Pacers, like, this guy, he's done it all, and he's, he's the man. <laughs> the next 33 I'm jumping to, some say should have been mentioned first. Why the hell didn't you mention him first? I just thought it'd be a good segue from Magic to Bird, but this guy, you know, some felt he's... The greatest player of all time. And I'm talking about this guy. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Previously known as Lou Elcindor. The Harlem figure is a legend on and off the court. One of the most sought-after high school players. Like, it was even said some Southern teams were willing <laughs> to break the segregation rules they had to bring Alcindor in. Like, that's messed up. Like, he was so good. These racist-ass schools were willing to be like, we'll be a little less racist to have you play for us. Like, wow. Just 
madness. But he'd end up going to UCLA and playing for legendary coach John Wooden. And, like, as a freshman, freshmen weren't on the varsity team back then. It was this weird thing until 1972. So he, Alcindor made his first appearance on the freshman team, and they beat the varsity team. And this was a two-time defending champions, top-ranked team. And this Alcindor on the freshman team dropped 31 points, 21 boards to beat them. First time that ever happened at UCLA. And, like... He, he just dominated. And then the next season, when he was on LaVar City, he continued to dominate. He scored 56 points in a game, breaking the UCLA record held by Gail Goodrich. Like, three-time All-American, three-time College Player of the Year, three-time NCAA Final Four Outstanding Player, three national titles. So, of course, his number three is retired by the Bruins. And back then, there was no dunking allowed in college. And Al Sender said, well, that's... That's a big reason why my touch was so good going in the NBA because I wasn't allowed to dunk. And he'd go, he'd go number one in the draft to the Milwaukee Bucks. It was rumored the Harlem Globetrotters were willing to offer him a million bucks to come play with him, which was huge back then. But he went to the NBA and he was drafted by a team who only was going into their second year of existence. And uh, yeah, he became the second rookie to drop 40 points and 25 boards in a playoff game. Wilt being the first and win rookie of the year. And then the Bucks went out and got the OG player to average a triple-double for the year. I'm talking about the big O, Oscar Robertson. Paired those two up. Boom. You got, you got yourself an NBA championship. The next year... Alcindor would win MVP again. And uh, he became the first player to win the MVP in two of his first three seasons. That's that's pretty insane. <laughs> and then not long after that, Lou Alcindor, he said, you know what, I'm going to start going by my Muslim name, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's a fun name to say, I love saying it. <laughs> but uh, then he, well, he needed a trade. He needed to get out of Milwaukee. He said he needed to go to a larger market that met his cultural needs. And I guess 19... Late 70s, Milwaukee wasn't doing it for him. So Jabbar demanded a trade and was traded to the Lakers. And the rest is history from there. He'd win three MVPs as a Laker to go with his three as a Buck. His six MVPs is an NBA record. He won five titles as a Lakers to go with that one as a Buck. And his numbers don't even make sense. 19-time All-Star, 15 All-NBAs, 11 All-Defensive, led the league in scoring twice, led the league in blocks four times, and won the rebinding title once. His 33 is with the Bucks and the Lakers. He was the all-time leading scorer for, it seemed like, ever until LeBron James broke it this last season, which is still mind-boggling that he did that. That just shows you the longevity of LeBron, but... Yeah, Kareem was one of my dad's favorite players. He'd always tell me about the skyhook. He's like, oh, if you could perfect this, no one could stop you. I'm like, he's also 7'1". Like, if I if I could reach like that, his that shot fit his body type so well. And the equation was second all-time at points. But, like, there's footage of, like, Wilt blocking one here or there. But for the most part, nobody was touching that shot. So, and then he'd leave basketball and make it in Hollywood you know he was in Bruce Lee's film Game of Death and he was in Airplane great great cameo in Airplane but regardless of whoever's on your goat list you got to consider Kareem in there but uh we'll stick with basketball next one New York Knicks legend Patrick Ewing he bounced around his later years later years it's still weird seeing him in a Supersonics or Orlando Magic jersey but we all know Patrick Ewing from the Knicks days and the Space Jam movie, right? He was a beast at Georgetown playing under legendary coach Jordan Thompson. 
like NCAA Final Four, MOP in 84, when he also won the national title. The following year, he won Player of the Year, and they looked to him back-to-back. But then, one of the biggest upsets in NCAA history, eight-seed Villanova, shooting 78% from the floor, upset Georgetown 66-64. That's still mind-blowing. Something like that happened nowadays. Oh, you can imagine social media, but... Yeah, Ewing went number one in the draft in 85, where we all remember that was the first draft lottery where they talk about there was an envelope that was kept cooler than the rest, and they would know to grab that one and award the New York team with Patrick Ewing. Conspiracy or not, he fit right in with the New York winning rookie of the year. He was 11 all-star games, 7 all-NBAs, 3 all-defensive second teams, like... That that was a tough defensive team to crack back then. You had Elijah Wan, David Robinson, Dikembe Mutombo. So that was definitely like a golden era of defensive centers. And like, there's a really cool shot of Ewing in the finals in 94. It's not really good for him. They end up losing that series. But there's a 30 for 30, June 17th, 1994, where they go into all this shit. That's also my sister's birthday, so shout out to Robin. But... Uh, yeah, this was crazy. You had O.J. Simpson chase going on. You had the NBA Finals. You had all this shit going down in one day. And that 30 for 30 documentary highlights it really well. But, yeah, Ewing would make the Finals one more time as an eight seed in the short, lockout shortened season. But they lose to Tim Duncan. Boom. As my boys won their first ever title. But it's tough being on a team in the 90s. You know, Michael Jordan kind of ran everything. So the Knicks never really got a lot of chances to go to the Finals. But... You know, he was on that dream team in 92 Barcelona Olympics. His 33 sits in the Raptors in New York, in the Raptors in New York. And yeah, he was, he was a great player. Should be remembered more because I think a lot of people don't remember Patrick Ewing as much. You know, time flies in sports and you forget some of the good ones. So hopefully we can put a little more respect on his name. Good coach too. He had a rough go near the end there at Georgetown, but hope he gets another gig and does well. But, uh. Sticking with Georgetown centers, I had a great career. I mentioned Alonzo Mourning, you know, following in Ewing's footsteps. He'd go to Georgetown, do great things there. Big East Player of the Year once and Defensive Player of the Year three times. He'd go number two in the 92 draft, one behind Shaq. And he was a stud with the Hornets when he was drafted there, doing great things. But he rejected a long-term deal to go to Miami where... He'd be a stalwart on those teams for Pat Riley, making seven All-Star games, All-NBA twice, All-Defensive first time twice as well. He won back-to-back Defensive Player of the Year in 99 and 2000, where he also won a gold medal in 2000. But after that, he got some kidney issues, and he had this disease where he'd need surgery, and he had to miss some seasons where he would sign with the Nets but only appear for 12 games before being involved in a trade. And he'd bounce around until he was in limbo until 2005 where he said he could play again. The Heat picked him up, played a limited backup role behind Shaquille O'Neal, a rival of his as when they came in the draft together. But, yeah, he'd help, help back up Shaq where they'd win their first ever NBA championship Miami. So... His number 33 is retired by the Heat, and he's also in the Hall of Fame. So, pretty impressive. But uh, another 33, you got to mention this. Some call him Robin the Batman, but Scottie Pippen, you know, he was along the way with Magic or Michael Jordan for all those rings, you know? And, like, he was a very important piece. And let's talk to Isaiah Thomas, who has beef with this team and hates Scottie Pippen. But uh, you didn't get a lot of, a lot of, you know, nobody was watching this guy out of high school. He was a walk-on at University of Central Arkansas. He was 6'1 out of high school, but experienced the growth spurt where he got up to 6'8. So that's some more people lucky. And he'd go five overall to the Supersonics, but 
the the Chicago Bulls would get a trade and team him up with MJ. And like I said, you know, those two paired up to do some amazing things. Six NBA titles where Pippen made seven All-Star games. He won the MVP in the 94 game. That was the year MJ was retired. People were saying, can Pippen do this without MJ? He looked pretty good. And, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, seven All-NBA teams, ten All-Defensive teams. He was also on the Dream Team as well as the 96 team in Atlanta. His 33 is retired by the Bulls, and, of course, he's in the Hall of Fame as well. Last basketball mention, this one could have been amazing. He's in the what-if category, but Grant Hill, what he did at Duke, two national championships, his number 33 is retired there. He came in right off the bat looking great, winning co-rookie of the year with Jason Kidd. He makes seven All-Star games, five All-NBA, but uh, he'd also win at the 96 Olympics, but... Just for the 2000 playoffs, uh, Grant Hill would injure his ankle, and he continued to play on it. And like nowadays, people would be like, "Rest up, this isn't load management, but you got to rest up." And he never quite recovered from that. Signed a huge deal to go play with Tracy McGrady in Orlando, but he could just never stay on the floor. It was so tough. That team, could you imagine those two together? He'd end up signing with the Suns later in life, and with that medical staff, he ended up being a pretty important cog. You know, he wasn't the athletic beast he was back in the day, but he did pretty well, you know, helped the Suns make the conference semifinals, but yeah, you know, that was as far as he'd get, but he's been a great ambassador for the game, he's involved with Team USA basketball now, and he's in the college and basketball Hall of Fame, but oh wow, this basketball's taking a bit of segment time here, but jump to hockey real quick, a legend, Patrick Waugh, <laughs> and you know, with the Canadiens or the Colorado Avalanche, he won two Stanley Cups with the Canadiens and three Vezina, and then he demanded a trade after being let in, let in the net way too long, and an 11-1 loss to the Red Wings where he let in nine goals. He went right up to the president of the Canadiens and said, this is the last game I play in Montreal, and he'd get traded to the Avalanche, who had just moved from Quebec, and with Patrick Wall, they'd win their first Stanley Cup, so great to them. They'd win another one in 2001, and Wall made 11 All-Star games regarding one of the best goaltenders in history. His 33 is retired by Montreal and Colorado, and of course he's in the Hall of Fame. And he's been a pretty good coach. He coached with the Avalanche briefly and uh, the Quebec Ramparts, winning the Memorial Cup with them this past season. And... Uh, Jumping from the ring to the diamond, got to mention Canadian baseball legend Larry Walker. He rocked the 33 for the Expos, Rockies, and briefly the Cardinals, making five All-Star games, getting seven gold gloves, and winning the NL MVP with the Rockies in 97, where he led the league, National League in home runs. Never won a ring, but he was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2020, so good Canadian baseballer there. Another baseball mention, Eddie Murray. No, not Eddie Murphy Delirious here, but this was a little before my time. He was donning the 33 with the Orioles, and he did have the 33 as a Dodger there too, but he'd make eight All-Star games, three gold gloves, three silver sluggers, rookie of the year in 77. He's part of the 83 Orioles team that won the World Series. His 33 is retired by the Orioles, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, so good on him. Uh, leaving the diamond for the gridiron as we wrap up the segment. Two running backs come to mind, Tony Dorsett, beast in college, Pitt, three-time All-American, won the Heisman Trophy the same year the Panthers won the national championship, come in the league, win Rookie of the Year, pro, four Pro Bowls over his career, part of the Dallas Cowboys team that won Super Bowl twelve. he's in the college and Pro Football Hall of Fame, and is tied with Derrick Henry for longest rushing touchdown in history at 99 yards, you can't really get much longer than that. 
And last football mention, Roger Craig. Very important piece of Bill Walsh's, Bill Walsh's 49ers offense. While with Montana, he'd go on to win three Super Bowls, four Pro Bowls, Offensive Player of the Year in 88. And Roger Craig was the first player to gain 1,000 yards rushing and receiving in the in the same season. Feats that have only been done by Marshall Falk and Christian McCaffrey. So, pretty good. It's weird he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's in Nebraska and the 49ers Hall of Fame, but yeah. Wow, those were some segments. I mean, 33, pretty big number, though. Like, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And check out this Bucks logo if you're on the YouTube there. Look at that. It looks like a Disney character. Love those old jerseys. But uh, <laughs> going from that, let's go to the wild week of sports here. The NFL uh, gave Roger Goodell a three-year contract extension to keep him in place till March 2027. It's a wild thing Goodell has held the spot since 20, 2006 when he succeeded Paul Tagliabu. But, yeah, we'll quickly jump in the time-traveling machine the Monday where we had our Chargers-Cowboys game, and I said, well, when Dak starts the press, becomes a mess. Just because it rhymes didn't mean it was right. I'd forgot how much the Chargers would choke. And, uh, yeah, Chargers tried to come back late, and Cowboys won 20-17, to going the 4-2 and while the Chargers dropped the 2-3. and But now we're back into the Week 7 focus, as this is the week that just wrapped up. And we started this week off with Jacksonville going on to play the Saints. And this one, it wasn't super exciting in the start. You know, ETN was making some big plays. We weren't sure if Trevor Lawrence would even play. And then all of a sudden, the Saints offense just started doing shit that looked good. They'd bring it right back. And we had ourselves a game, 24-24, until Trevor Lawrence hit... Kirk for a 44-yard pass that would give them the lead. But Derek Carrigan, stinking all game, but let his team down here for a chance to win the game and hit Foster Moreau right in the hands. Problem was, Moreau didn't catch it. Went out to the end zone. Next play, turnover on downs. Jags take the win, 31-24. Had to feel bad for Foster Moreau. It was literally in his hands. His team was consoling him after the game because he was a little rough. Then we go to Sunday's games where all the madness was happening and the Falcons taking on the Bucks. This was tied at half. Drake London made a crazy play where he was like totally vertical, landing on his head. It looked insane, but it was reviewed, so they were showing this crazy replay a thousand times. Society was at the one. He didn't fumble it in the end zone, so yada yada, let's do our thing. Ritter made a nice play. He was looking like he was going to casually walk into the end zone. So they'll... Boom, chopped from behind, the ball went into the end zone, causing a touchback. One of the biggest swings in sports, you're not getting a touchdown. The other team's actually getting the ball. So uh, it was huge. That play would lead to nothing as Baker Mayfield would get picked off down the field. And Desmond Ritter would later on lead. A big play to Kyle Pitts, setting up a young way coup field goal to give the Falcons the win in Tampa Bay. A big win for them. The Raiders were taking on the Bears. It was a game of backups. You had Brian Hoyer starting for the Raiders for the injured Jimmy G. Then you had Tyson Bajant, man. The secret agent song I've applied to Tyson Bajant because he looked good. Undrafted Division II QB over to Shepherd University. Yeah, he had 65 friends and family watching the game, and he, he played pretty well, you know, for his first start. He did what he needed to do to get the win. You know, Deontay Freeman had a hell of a game, you know. Three touchdowns, two on the ground, one in the air. Yeah, Raiders still struggled. It, struggled. it looked like Devontae Adams was going to get a get the ball tons early, but that was just in the first quarter, and they kind of went away from that as they went away from most of the game. The Bears, good on them for getting that win. And the Bajant man, the secret Bajant man, I love it. Good, good on him. Div 2 quarterback doing his thing. 
Then you had the Browns and Colts, right? Colts were coming in. We Anthony Richardson was announced soul, shoulder surgery. He'd missed the rest of the years. We predicted last episode. So it was the Gardner Minshew show. And uh, Browns started this wild game off with a bang with Gerald Ford or Jerome, Gerald Ford, the president. No, Jerome Ford going 69 yards for a big touchdown to give the Browns an early lead. But he'd have to leave the game with injury. And Deshaun Watson would get knocked out of this game too, being replaced by P.J. Walker. And it was said Watson had cleared concussion protocol after the first quarter, but Stefanski was sticking with sticking with P.J. Walker, and he seemed to do all right. But the Colts would respond after this. Touchdown pass, touchdown run by Minshew. It was back and forth. Browns tied it up with Kareem Hunt before Minshew would run in another. And then Miles Garrett went full Halloween mode and started haunting the Colts. He'd block a field goal attempt. Then Gardner Minshew was in his end zone looking the pass. And then, ah, there's all of a sudden Miles Garrett again. Strip sack, led to a touchdown, boom. But then Minshew hit Michael Pittman, 75-yard touchdown pass. And you're like, hey, Colts up five with under six to go. No to Sean Watson. I think we have it. Then the Browns, sack fumble. You're like, game's done. Uh-uh-uh. Defensive hold. Automatic first down. Very next play. Uh-uh-uh. Defensive pass interference. Ball at the one-yard line. Took a few chances, but Kareem Hunt punches his second touchdown in the game. Browns win, surprisingly, but they came back and won it. I didn't know who was going to win there. It was a little literal roll of the dice, but... Good on the Browns for winning. They should stick with P.J. Walker at this point, I think. Not a big Deshaun Watson guy, but, hey, they're giving him guaranteed money. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, it's a big NFC battle, Commanders and Giants. This game wasn't wasn't very entertaining on the eye, per se. You had Daniel Jones still injured, but Tyrod Taylor, he had this offense looking way better than they normally do. They were actually getting offensive touchdowns in the first half. He hit Darren Waller and Saquon Barkley for two touchdowns, and Brian Robinson would get one back for the Commanders in the second half, but it wasn't enough. The Commanders had chances to win late, but do what they normally do in those instances and lose. So, yeah, the Giants pick up their only their second win of the year, so much needed for them. And you had the Detroit Lions, Baltimore Ravens, Baltimore Ravens, you know, a big matchup. This was hyped up from everyone. Are the Lions the real deal? This is their barometer going up against... The Kings of the AFC North right now, the Baltimore Ravens. But these lines remind me more of a Disney line. You know, in The Lion King, Simba, Simba can't wait to be king. Sings about it. We all know the song. The lines are on, you know, they're in the stage where Simba's developing. And we know the power he's going to possess, but he's not there yet. And that's much like the Detroit Lions. They're close, and we're thinking they're there, but they're not yet there. The hyenas and scars still running the point. And uh, Baltimore showed us that. The Ravens, they stuck it to the Lions. Lamar Jackson reminded us and everyone, you know, don't forget about him in the MVP voting. And the defense showed out. There was a, they were honoring T-Sizzle, Terrell Suggs, and the defense honored him by stinking up the Lions. So uh, I know we can't wait to be king, but it's going to have to wait a little longer in Detroit. And you had the Bills and Patriots on paper. This looked very one-sided, you know. But the game, like they said, is not played on paper. Patriots were leading 13-3 to at half, and you're wondering, what's Buffalo doing? Like a quick second-half TD, Josh Allen, James Cook made us like, okay, they're waking up. And then the Pats would score again. They're up 22-10 with under 8 to go, and you're like, hey, maybe they got this. Then Allen would hit digs, and no one would touch him, so we'd get up and score. And the Bills would get the ball back, and a quarterback sneak by Allen gave the Bills a three-point lead with under two to go. And if you've watched the New England offense this year, you, that should be a win. 
But Mac Jones would get them in field goal range, and we're thinking, hey, it's a tie. But then Mac Jones would hit Mike Bad Gritty Gasecki for the game-winning touchdown, and yeah, Pats get their second win of the year, beating the Bills, giving Bill Belichick his 300th career win, third coach to hit that mark, you know, after Don Shula and George Hallis, but... He didn't really look that excited for the win, but he never shows emotion. But I imagine this will hit, this will hit him a little later in life. <laughs> then you had some wild games. Well, the afternoon games were a little interesting. I guess you had the Cardinals and Seahawks in an NFC West division match. The Cardinals played hard, and they had chances. But the Seahawks, they're the better team. And rookie receivers, Smith and Jigba and Jake Bobo, those touchdowns would prove to be the difference. And I'm all for the Geno to Bobo connection. <laughs> but yeah, big win for the Seahawks. And the Cardinals are fighting. They're not giving up in these games, but they were just outmatched. Then you have the Steelers and Rams. 2-2 Atwell, he scored the only touchdown in the first half, but Kenny Pickens would hit George Pickens on some a few big plays, setting up touchdown runs by Pickens himself, Jalen Warren, and Najee Harris. Daryl Henderson was get, able to get a touchdown on his return for the Rams, but Steelers pick up a big win on the road. Good ups to them. And again, the Chargers and Chiefs, you know, before the year started, everyone's like, oh, this is going to be huge. These teams are going to be the top of their game at this point. Well, the Chiefs have a good record, and they did just trade for Nicole Hardman, getting him back from the Jets. But, yeah, first quarter was a stink fest. No quarter, no points, really, just two field goals. And then the second half, point explosion. Valdez Scantlin going 46-yard touchdown pass, immediately followed by a Joshua Kelly 49-yard touchdown run. And you have caches by Rasheed Rice for the Chiefs, Gerald Albert for the Chargers, Kelsey for the Chiefs, and boom, you're going to halftime 24-17. And, of course, you know, during these touchdowns, they're showing shots of Taylor Swift and Brittany Mahomes and their fancy new handshake. Yeah, I'm covering that, too, so look OTMZ. But, uh, yeah, all that scoring in the second quarter would just come to an end. You get a fourth-quarter touchdown by Isaiah Pacheco to put the game out of the reach for the Chiefs. But, yeah, just a second-quarter explosion and everything else. So as long as you were watching that game and saw that quarter, you were good. Oh, and then this game, I didn't want to get to this one. Green Bay and Denver, hard game for me to watch. Packers went to Denver and looked awful. You know, my dad was known for throwing his jersey off in dismay after his team's awful performance. They got pretty close to that for me, you know. Will, Le Will Lutz's leg was feeling pretty good after he was kicking all his field goals. And Cortland Sutton hit a touchdown, making it 16-3. Thought it was over. But, yeah, Jordan Love, I mean, he did try. He came back. He hit Romeo Dubes. I call him Dobby for a touchdown. And then looked like he hit Dob Dubes again. Went right through his hands. And luckily into another Green Bay player's hands, Jaden Reed giving the Packers a lead with late in the fourth quarter. We're like, we got this. But Broncos would get a field goal by Lutz again, going up 19-17. And it's like, okay, Love has a chance. All we need is a field goal. But, yeah, he'd stink that up. So definitely having a love-hate relationship with my quarterback right now. But, you know, it's his first season. Let's give him time, you know, patience as they preach. But the nightcap was a wild one. You had the Dolphins and the Eagles, two of the best teams in the league right now. The Eagles even picked up Julio Jones midweek, adding more firepower to their arsenal. But you'd have field goals exchanged until Dallas Goddard hit a score. And a big A.J. Brown would set up our illustrious tush-push, brotherly shove, whatever you call it, it works. And then just before half time, Tyreek Hill would show off that amazing speed on a touchdown. So you're like, oh, 17-10 going in the break. Pretty good. And then a pick six right in the second half had us all tied up. But then Hertz would avenge that, you know, hitting A.J. Brown for a touchdown pass. Then Tua would get picked, hit A.J. Brown for a deep one, setting up Gainwell, yada, yada. 
Suddenly, Eagles moved to six and one. Dolphins dropped to five and two. So, big win for the Eagles. They're coming off their first loss of the year. Speaking of a team that had their first loss of the year, the 49ers, they'll be battling the Vikings Monday night. You know, I just think the 49ers are going to turn it up and really take it. Brock Purdy, I expect to have a huge game in this one. I expect the Vikings to stink. Maybe it's just wishful thinking because I'm going up against Kirk Cousins in fantasy, and I need him to have less than 28. So, come on, Kirk. You like that? You like that? I hope you like that. But, uh, boom, we'll jump to the WNBA Finals. What a wild ending that was. We had the Aces coming into this Game 4 looking to avenge their loss in Game 3 where the Liberty were chatting. And uh, Chelsea Gray, she wasn't out. Kia Stokes wasn't out. So this was the first time you went game to game in a Finals with a team losing two starters. So you had Australian Kayla George step up. Sixth person of the year, Alicia Clark would step up. And this crowd was rocking. Early on, it was the Courtney Vandersloot show. They were giving her shots, and she was hitting them. But the Aces battled back. Jackie Young and Asian Will Asia Wilson were doing their thing. But, like, the two stars that were lighting it up all finals, Kelsey Plum and Jonquil Jones, really had their worst games of the series. So... It was pretty brutal. But then you had Kayla George. Like I said, she filled in admirably at center. She reminded me of Antoine Walker back in the day where he was just jacking threes. And you're like, okay, some of these are pretty bad. What's he doing? And then he'd hit like three or four. And you're like, okay, I'll just shut up. She played huge. And Alicia Clark coming in, her defense on the ask who was something else. But, you know, even they were struggling, but they were fighting through it. It was really back and forth. And Askew made a big shot late, barfed into a <laughs> garbage before going back out there. But when things really mattered the most, this regular season MVP, Brianna Stewart, she struggled immensely. Three for 17 from the field with 10 points. She had a wide open three late to tie. Missed it. And then you had Asia Wilson, last year's MVP. My pick for this year's MVP. Uh, yeah, she got third in MVP this year. Someone even gave her a fourth place vote. But she did what MVPs need to do late. Reverse pivot jump shot to seal it. They were down, but they were never out. They came back and won. Asia Wilson, another finals MVP for the trophy case. You know, made, like I said, made those want voters wonder, what the hell were you doing? Her college coach and South Carolina coach, Don Staley, was in the crowd cheering her on. What a, what a good boost for her program to show you the kind of support you get from her as a coach, that she's got your back even as you're in the pros. And how about Becky Hammond, two years coaching, two titles, you know, and the crowd that showed up for this game it's just what you want to see for the wmba growing you know a lot of people even skip this they're like ah wmba but hey it's gotten a lot better and this is this league like it's consistently better all around the talent is there and there were some real parallels with what happened in these finals like i've mentioned wilson being slighted mvp like it wasn't like stewart was awarded the trophy directly in front of her how David Robinson got it in front of Akeem Olajuwon all those years ago, only for Olajuwon to embarrass <laughs> David Robinson. That kind of same vibe was here. And then uh, sticking with Stewart, uh, Michael Wilbon, I'm pardon the interruption, brought this up. The, the parallels with John Starks, I'm like, oh my God, where he struggled in the conference finals and shot three for 18, one of the biggest games. And it was in New York, so that that was similar. 
But, man, they had a chance. The Vandersloot, it was a rush three-pointer at the buzzer, but it didn't even catch a rim. But what really bummed me out for the Liberty, no one showed up from the media availability. Coach Sandy Brondello, Brianna Stewart, and Va- Courtney Vandersloot showed up. Everyone else bailed. The team was fined 25000 Each player was fined 2000 that didn't show up, like Ian Esku, Laney, John Quell Jones. I could maybe see John Quell Jones being pissed and not showing up. She was the reason this team was in any of the games, and she only got eight field goal attempts in this one. So, yikes, but not a good look to go out. You know, people gave Cam Newton flute for Balin. He got up and walked out of his press conference after the Super Bowl. At least he showed up. These ladies didn't even show up, so I think they deserve a little guff for not showing up after that. It was a tough loss, yes, perhaps even the toughest of your career, but you got to show up, especially after you're chatting all that shit, right? You chat the shit, you got to show up and say, hey, they beat us, right? But it is what it is. We had our first-time champion, back-to-back champs since 2002, and the Sparks did it. Now the big question, can this Las Vegas Aces team three-peat? I think they can, you know. This is the first team that's attempting to do it since the Comets did it when they won the first four titles of this league's existence. You know, Candace Parker may be back next year, but you have this core coming back. This coaching's going to be there. Why can't they three-peat unless this is... All the shit happening is fueling the Liberty enough where they can come back and challenge them. But, man, already epic press conferences. We're going to see the parade is Monday, so we're going to see some shit go down. Congrats to the Aces, though. Now we're going with baseball, and the ALCS has been awesome. Rangers won the first two games in Houston. And Houston went into Arlington and did what they've done all season and went three games there. Game five was wild. You had... The Rangers leading 4-2 in the ninth inning, thinking we got it. And three-run home run by little Jose Altuve put them up, and Astros would win. Then Sunday night, you're like, okay, the Astros are going to clinch it back here at home. You know, they've struggled at home compared to on the road, and Alvarez got off to a good start with an RBI single before Mitch Garver tied it up with a solo blast. In the fourth inning, Jonah Heim hit a two-run blast just over the outstretched glove of Kyle Tucker. So close. But that would put the Rangers up 3-1. DeBond would make it 3-2 with a sack fly. Garver, another clutch RBI double to make it 4-2. Then the eighth, the bases are loaded, and you're like, oh, here we go. The Rangers are going to do their thing. But Leclerc did his thing. He got out of the jam. We go in to the bottom of the eighth. Seager get hit by a pitch with the bases loaded. So you got one to score, and you're like, okay. It's 5-2, we're looking pretty good. And then Adolis Garcia comes up and smashes a grand salami. Crowd, they were like, shit, you know, 9-2. We're going into the best phrase of sports, Game 7. That game's going down Monday night. So it'll be going on after this recording, so obviously I won't know who went. And I was leaning Rangers, and then I was looking at the starting pitchers. The Rangers are going with Max Scherzer, right? He's had that one start where he didn't look that great, but... They made a big trade to bring this guy in for this moment. I know he's coming off injury. He's the warrior god, but he's going up against Christian Javier, and he's just been having a really good postseason. I'm I'm leaning the Astros on this one. Initially, I was thinking Rangers, but I don't know if the Scherzer moves good. We'll see how it looks. Maybe Scherzer... 
He's going to the Hall of Fame. Maybe he's going to be like, shut up, Red City. I'm having a game. And he might pitch lights out. But this this is big. We'll see what happens. Massive game tonight. Put on your baseball caps for this one. It should be good. I imagine the 49ers are going to be way up on the Vikings anyway. Go to the baseball. <laughs> and then the NLCS with between the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. The way the Phillies won the first two games with home run after home run. Many were calling this over, but... Not the Diamondbacks. They'd go back to Arizona and win the next two, setting up a game five with the battle of the Zach attack. You had Zach Gallen for the D-backs and Zach Wheeler for the Phillies. Phillies went on a quick, got a quick lead before Schwarber and Harper would add to the lead with solo run each and the, solo home run each. Alec Thomas would try to bring Arizona back with a one run, home run, but that was about it. Kettle Marte extended his hitting streak to 14, second longest streak in consecutive games with a hit to start your postseason career. He's won off the record, which he can tie in Game 6, which also goes down Monday in the afternoon conveniently. Duh, why do you do this to me? But uh, the Diamondbacks are sending Merrill Kelly to the mound while the Phillies are going with Aaron Nola. Like on paper there, the Phillies should they should be a Philly win. But like I said, that they don't play on that paper or on these screens. They play on the field. So uh, we'll see what happens. I'm hoping the Diamondbacks win it, set up a Game 7 tomorrow night, Tuesday night, because Game 7's, Game 7's, that's what you want. So we'll see. We're going to have our World Series teams figured out in a few. Within 48 hours, I guess. So let's see what happens and get your World Series picks. Quick thick mentions in basketball. The Houston Rockets traded Kevin Porter Jr. to the Thunder, who promptly just waved him. The Rockets have been looking to get rid of Kevin Porter after those gross felony charges, felony assault and strangulation on his girlfriend, who is now trying to drop the charges. So I don't know what's going on there, but... Porter was shipped with two second-round picks for Victor Oladipo and Je Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And like I said, OKC waved Porter right away, just got him out of there. And then there's been the Harden drama at 76ers. He didn't. He wasn't on practice Wednesday. It was rumored there was someone ill back in Houston. And, you know, he just doesn't want to play there anymore. So, yeah, checks out. But that's all I'll go on the NBA for right now. I have a huge preview to share on the season. But like a boa constrictor in a bathtub, it's much too long. So tomorrow, Tuesday, October 24th, I'll be dropping a quick NBA preview, preview episode. Breakdown division winners, trophy choices, the first ever in-season tournament. And my choices... So who's going to be raising that Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the year? Tune in. That'll be coming in tomorrow. You got your basketball Jones. Hopefully that'll cure him. But uh, we'll go to the hockey real quick. Sad news for Montreal Canadiens. Kirby Dach. Kirby Dach will miss the remainder of the season. Torn ACL and MCL. He picked it up last weekend. Sad news for a guy who just struggles to stay on the ice. Hopefully he heals up and comes back better. The Oilers won their first game of the season on Tuesday. McDavid scored a beautiful goal where he did a little spin getting up to tuck it away. Looked like something out of a cheesy hockey movie because it was so far-fetched, but that's the stuff he does. He makes those goals, and Dreisaitl would break the Oilers' record for most power play goals in their history. And if you look at their history, there's pretty good players, so that's a pretty good record. <laughs> but then the Oilers would lose the next few after that, and more importantly lose Connor McDavid to an upper body injury. It's rumored he'll miss a few weeks with this, so... We'll see what the struggling Oilers try to do without McDavid in the squad, but 
few teams have come out of the gate looking really dominant. The Gold Knights, six and oh, 14 goal differential. They're hoping to repeat. They're they're looking like a real threat to do so. The Avalanche not looking to be on, outdone. They've started five and oh, 13 goal differential. Like these are some pretty big goal differentials to start the season. And the Bruins, they're undefeated at five and oh yet. The Stars have a one OT loss, but they're right up there. And don't look now, but Ren City's Flyers are leading the Metropolitan Division. That's what's up. I come back to the Flyers, and this is what they do to me. Thank you. Some surprises, <laughs> like I said, the Oilers. Yeah, with line, with McDavid out of the lineup, they may continue to struggle. The Capitals are off to a slow start, especially Ovechkin, who's starting the dare, I say, look his age. The San Jose Sharks, you know, they're usually a pretty solid team. They're off to a bad start when you look at the standings, but then you're like, oh, yeah, they, they played against the Knights, Avalanche, Hurricanes, Bruins, and Predators to start the season. That's, that's a pretty st tough start. We're going to the college football world. There's, of course, drama in the news in college football, and it's been said Michigan, his football team has been stealing signs enough to warrant an investigation. And MSU, Michigan State, came out and even said they fear for the safety of their players based on these. Which is kind of bullshit. That's just a bullshit thing. They're trying to just pull Michigan in the mug with all the sh in the mud with all the shit MSU's been doing, with all the allegations their way with their coach and the, yeah, we don't want to go in the MSU's dark past again, but. Jim Harbaugh, whether smoke there's fire, these are more allegations on him, and maybe this is the final nails in his collegiate coaching coffin, and Harbaugh is going to pull a Pete Carroll and leave, go back to the NFL, like when all that shit was coming out with USC, and Pete Carroll's like, I'm out, went to Seattle, maybe, you know, this last big go to try to get a Wolverines national championship will be Harbaugh's last hurrah. Before he comes back to the NFL, we'll see. But there were some big games to go down. Big Ten had a big battle between Penn State and Ohio State, and people were wondering, is this the year Penn State beats them? It is not the year. Ohio State took that one. Buckeyes win 2012. Oregon took out Oregon State. Alabama won their SEC fight with Tennessee. Texas won a close one over Houston, a college game similar to the ALCS when you look at the teams. And uh, UCLA, Florida State beat up on rivals Stanford and Duke. Virginia shocked the Tar Heels beating North Carolina. And Oklahoma is almost shocked, shocked by UCF. By UCF. That's a weird one to say real fast, but they won 31-29. Utah going to USC and give Caleb Williams another loss. He just can't seem to beat the Utes. And much like Williams is looking to go with a team that drafts him, Utah owns part of him, much like Williams is to get with a new team. But, yikes. Washington squeaked out a close one against Arizona State. University of Miami would need overtime to beat Clemson in a tough ACC matchup. The Hurricanes really needed a win there. And MSU, like I said, they were worried about their players' safety because of the allegations. They should have been more worried about their game plan and how they were playing because they were trounced. 49 nothing. So, big games to watch next week. Oregon and Utah, that, that should be good. Ducks and the Utes. You got Duke and Louisville, which normally would be a good basketball game, which should be a good football one. Pitt and Notre Dame, USC and Cal, Colorado and UCLA, uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. 
then another one that could be a good basketball game. But uh, in those matchups, I have Oregon, Louisville, Notre Dame, USC, Colorado, and Tennessee. We'll see where I match up next week. Going to the footy world, uh, the leagues were returning after international break. I mentioned in the last episode there were some big matches, and there were some pretty decent ones in the midweek here. England looked good, beating Italy 3-1 after going down 1-0. Brazil lost to Uruguay 2-0, but the biggest news was Neymar torn ACL. He's going to miss significant time, and he's he won't be playing many more Saudi League games right now with that injury. Hope he can recover from that. And then more sad news in the football world. Sir Bobby Charlton passed away at 86 on Saturday. He's a perfect ambassador you'd want for the club, and that's exactly what he was for Manchester United. He was part of the Munich air disaster, which claimed the lives of 23 people, including eight United players. He suffered minor injuries but survived, and he was integral in rebuilding the club after that disaster. Like Even larger, he was part of the 1966 World Cup team, the one that England's ever won. So, legendary figure that will be missed. Rest in peace, Sir Bobby Charlton. And big news in Canadian footy are... Our goat, Christine Sinclair, announced she will be retiring from Canada soccer after 24 years. Like I said, she is our goat. She is. She may be the goat in women's soccer, in soccer in general. World's all-time leading international goal scorer, men or women. Congrats to you, Sinclair. You've been a joy to watch over the years. Perfect ambassador for the game. Her last games for Team Canada will be on November 27th, December 5th. Grab your popcorn. Grab your tissues. Thanks again, Christine Sinclair. But the Premier League returned with the Marisite Derby, and it was a wild one, of course. You get a red card. Ashley Young getting his second of the game before the 37th minute would have Everton down a long time. Handball in the box would give Mo Salah a penalty, giving Liverpool the lead. Everton was really outmatched on this one, and they left themselves exposed late where Darwin would hit Salah. They'd go up 2-1, and uh, they'd take the game. Or, sorry, go on... The two-on-one and win the game 2-0. So congrats to Liverpool on that one. And then uh, other EPL games, Brentford laid the boots to Burnley, beating them 3-0. Bournemouth would go ahead against Wolves, but Wolves would come back to win 2-1. Nottingham Forest would score their second goal in the 76th minute, and they looked to have it wrapped up. But an 83rd minute and then a stoppage time equalizer by Adebayo would change that and they'd get the draw. Man City were looking to bounce back from two straight losses and they'd narrowly hold on to a 2-1 win over Brighton. Scary injury for Sully March late. He had to get stretchered off. Did not look good for the Brighton left back. And uh, a last-minute second yellow for Man City defender Akanji is kind of big because the Swiss defender will now miss the Manchester Derby next week. So pretty big loss for Man City there, but they did get the win. Newcastle skunked Crystal Palace at St. James Park 4-0. Chelsea looked like an improved team going ahead 2-0 against Arsenal in their London Derby. But Arsenal came back. It late equalized. Dreadful giveaway by Sanchez. Led to Declan Rice, putting it in an empty net before Trossard tied it in the 84th. Then you had Manchester United in a dogfight with Sheffield United of all teams. It looked like a draw until Diego Dallas scored a beautiful goal in the 77th. They gave Man U the win. You knew they couldn't lose on the day of Sir Bobby Charlton's passing, but my West Ham played Aston Villa, and they'd get smashed 4-1. to It was not very good. It was pretty one-sided. Tottenham ends the week playing Fulham on Monday. 
That will be coming out around the time this airs. So we'll see how that ends the week. The Bundesliga returned with Dortmund taking a home win over Werder Bremen. Leverkusen, Leipzig, Stuttgart, Frankfurt, Freiburg, Bayern Munich all picked up wins. So Bayern Leverkusen still sit atop the league with Stuttgart surprisingly in second and Bayern Munich and Dortmund right behind them. On our plane to Spain for La Liga, we had a little surprise. Sevilla, Real Madrid drew 1-1. Atletico and Barcelona picked up wins. Then a wild game in Girona where they were up 3-2 at halftime against bottom side Almeria. But Girona would score a few more in the second half and get the win. So Real Madrid sit at top of the Liga with Girona. That's right, Girona's hot start has them tied with Real Madrid at the top of the league. Barca's just behind them. And Atletico's three games back at the top with a game in hand. In Serie A in Italy, you had Napoli, Inter, Lazio, Roma, Bologna, and Atalanta picking up big wins. And then AC Milan was coming in leading the league, and they'd lose the Juventus. A red card would not help them, and then Locatelli would score in the 63rd minute. That was the decider. Juventus takes the win. AC Milan suffered their second loss of the season. So Inter Milan... Leapfrogs their rivals to sit up top with AC Milan in second, Juventus in third. In the French League, PSD, PSG beat down on Strasbourg 3-0. Nice beat a 10-man Marseille. Lille beat Brest and Nantes beat Montpellier. But some uneasiness for leaders Monaco. For, in, their, in the first half, Camaro would catch the Monaco keeper out a little too far and score from his own half. His first league on goal really had some David Beckham vibes to it. So Monaco was like, oh shit. But then their star, Golovin, would get two goals, including a nice free kick in the second second half that would put them up and give them the game and put them back at the top of the league but man there was some basement dweller matches olympic lyon man they lost 2-1 the clamer foot who's just above them so now lyon has gone nine games without a win we're witnessing a historic club crumble in front of our very eyes this is crazy to me and, uh, domestic footy on our side of the world. The MLS season wrapped up Saturday. TFC lost at home to end their miserable season, but they were able to honor Michael Bradley, his retirement from the game of footy. He, the American legend was part of the MLS Cup winning TFC side in 2017, so kudos to him. With all those games wrapping up, we have our playoffs lined up. East wild card, you have the Red Bull New York taking on Charlotte. The West sporting Kansas City plays San Jose. Down the weekend, you have Philadelphia hosting New England, LAFC hosting Vancouver, the Houston Dynamo hosting Real Start Lake, and then the winner of the East Wild Card visits Cincinnati, while the winner of the West Wild Card visits St. Louis. Try to stick with me. A lot of playoff footy. This is why some leagues just go by the table, but North America, we love our playoffs, and we're hopefully going to get a good playoff. My pick to host the MLS Cup this year, Seattle, Sound Seattle Sounders. That's my pick. First time they're going to win since 2019, they're going to raise that cup. But uh, F1 was back. We returned to the United States for the United States GP. There was a sprint this weekend, which Max won and, of course, said, not a big fan of the sprints, but we had our big race Sunday. Daniel Ricciardo made his return from injury, and he had a sweet mustache to go with. Things were looking really interesting late. Lewis Hamilton was making a real push to try to cash for Stappen. Leclerc was slowing a bit, and Ferrari asked signs to pass. His teammate, which promptly pissed off Leclerc and had him saying, let's talk after the race. <laughs> Red Bull would uh, check in with Verstappen here and there, and all you'd get out of Verstappen was these comical outbursts of, don't talk to me while I'm in my brakes! It almost sounded like Arnold Schwarzenegger a bit, but... Uh, 
yeah, it was pretty wild. When all was said and done, Verstappen would take another checkered flag, the 50th Grand Prix victory of his career. Lewis Hamilton and Lando Norris would round out the podium. And so, uh-uh-uh, Sunday evening, there were some announcements. Disqualifications. Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc were disqualified from the USGP after uh, a physical floor and plank wear inspection was carried out, and it was determined that both cars were found not to be in compliance with Article 3.5.9E. Unfortunately, I don't have that article up, but shit, they broke the rules and they got disqualified. So that moves Lando Norris into the second position and Carlos Sainz onto the podium. Also means that Logan Sargent moves up to 10th place and the American gets his first ever points of the season. So... Good on them, but we'll see what happens with this. these announcements as there's a quick turnaround for the Mexican Grand Prix that goes on next weekend, October 29th. So, wow. Then you had some UFC in Dubai, UFC 294. Some pretty big fights in the Middle East. You had a very interesting result as Ankalev and Johnny Walker fight was called to a no contest. You had Usman losing to Chimiev by decision. Chimiev remains undefeated. Islam Makachev was supposed to fight Charles Oliva... Charles Oliveira, but Oliveira had to pull out due to injury, so Alexander Volkanovsky filled in admirably, only to get kicked in the head violently, that would set up the end of that fight. Not the way he was looking to end the fight, but big win for Islam there, and uh, you know, it's tough when people get injured and you gotta fill those cards, but I think they filled in pretty well, and showed a pretty good event. I've not been covering this next thing here, but the Rugby World Cup, I wish this is a huge sport around the world, and uh, there's some pretty big games like going on going on in France right now. My Half of my bloodline, England, had a hell of a tournament, I guess, losing in the semifinal to South Africa, and New Zealand dismantled Argentina, setting up a grand final between New Zealand and South Africa next Saturday. Those are two teams you'd kind of expect to be in the final when you hear this tournament, so hopefully you can catch some of that. And uh, the CFL, Saskatchewan Rough Riders needed to win the break their losing streak, keep their slim playoff hopes alive. Late in the game, it was looking like the Riders might pull it off. A ghastly interception will lead the Argos going down, winning the game 29-26. Riders, their seventh loss in the row. I was listening to the radio broadcast. I was driving at the time. You could hear the heartbreak. Oh, tough season for the Riders. So, as the Riders normally say, we'll look forward to next year. Stamps beat down the Lions 41-16. Bombers dismantled the Elks 45-25. There'll be another week before the CFL playoffs start. And uh, jumping from that... Let's go into our short here. Uh, after seeing that huge kick on to Volkanovski's head there, seeing two Miami Dolphin players collide each other full speed, I thought, man, I've had my bell rung a few times. Let's see if I can remember them enough to share as a short. Uh, the youngest memory I have is getting knocked out as a pup while in the backyard in Prince Albert. We had a massive backyard. There was a snowmobile. My brother was kind of showing me the ropes on it. And he's like, come on, give it some gas. So I proceeded to crank that handle like Vince Carter after a big dunk when he does that. And I cranked that, proceeding to drive into this big piece of junk on the yard. I don't even know what it was, but I crashed into that shit. And I remember waking up like that, and I was getting woken up. like So I was out. I remember crying and having to get all cleaned up because I was all 
fucked up. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, the next instance, we'll go to a birthday party. I was still a kid. One of my friend's dad worked at SIAST. And, like, it's called SAS Polytech now. Post-secondary school. That's where I got my plumbing ticket. Whoop, whoop. But anyway, his dad worked there. And we could play in the gym at birthdays. And we put some gym mats down. Put the, some soccer nets together. You know, these were the early days of UFC being made. So we thought, hey, what's up? And I'm a, I'm a big guy, so I thought I'd do okay. But my other buddy, shout out to Scotty, he was in wrestling. And he humbled me real quick, putting me in a little chokey thing. I remember, I don't know if I quite went out, but I was getting close. And I started crying again. Man, I'm all, all about that crying life back then. But I guess I still am. If you saw the Packers-Broncos game, you'd see why. But... The next knockouts, I was a little older, on the verge of being a teenager. The one I remember being in the backyard of my parents' house and playing hockey with my nephew who didn't really like sports, so it was kind of like, ha-ha, embarrassing him a bit. And then I, was, I turned around, and then as I look, I saw this stick coming at me, spinning. If you ever watch Mad TV, he's like the Kenny Rogers jackass with the bat fetcher trick with my teeth. <laughs> and that stick was coming at me, hit me right in the forehead. I went down the snowbank. I don't know how long I was down. I wake up, except this time, like, I could feel my headache. I wasn't crying. I was just fucking livid this time. And I remember coming to the house looking for my nephew who was hiding, and my mom lost it on us. So, not an ideal situation. <laughs> the next one, I didn't knock me out, but it rattled my head. You know when you take a charge in basketball and you go straight back? That's how you know it's a legit charge. But, you know, hitting your head on the hardwood, that sweet, soft spot, that's a brain rattler. But, uh... The closest I'd come again to being right out was backyard wrestling, good old backyard wrestling. You've seen Brad on this podcast. You've met the man. He launched himself off to some heavy-duty equipment, and I was laying on a table. Oh, man, I, I still remember my head. Like, after he landed on me, my head smashed on the ground. Again, that sweet spot. After that, I hung up my BYW boots. I was done. <laughs> But now I think about it, no wonder why I get those damn stupid headaches here and there. It really makes sense, but oh man. But yeah, that's episode 33, guys. This is Sports and Shorts of Sorts, episode 33, Kareem Abdul, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But yeah, we'll be dropping that NBA season preview coming out tomorrow. I hope you don't see too much of me and be like, ugh, enough. But really, basketball season is coming. Get excited. Get hyped. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Rent City out, guys.